Welcome to I Am, I Have. I'm Lucy Donoghue and this podcast is brought to you by Happiful Magazine, Counselling Directory and the Happiful app. On this podcast, we speak with wonderful people and find out more about the passions that shape their lives as well as their reflections on their own mental health and well-being. Today, we're speaking with Bryony Gordon about mental health, overwhelm, her new book, No Such Thing as Normal and Being Fine. I spent a lot of my time trying not to have OCD and trying not to be a depressive. Trying to prove I wasn't an alcoholic. And in the end, the easiest thing for me was to surrender to the fact I was an alcoholic. I do have OCD. I am prone to depression. So what am I going to do to try and make those experiences and those things that my faulty coping mechanisms, my brain, for whatever reason has employed, how am I going to try and make my life easier? I spoke with Bryony in December of 2020 before her book was released and it was such a joy to chat to her. Thanks so much to Bryony for her time and for everything she shares. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know that Counselling Directory has a wide range of therapists listed across the UK who are ready to start working with you today, online, over the phone and face-to-face when the time is right. Visit counselling-directory.org.uk for more information or search on the free Happiful app. Now, back to Bryony. We hope you enjoy listening, and if you do, please share your thoughts using the hashtag I am, I have, and rate and leave us a review if you like what you hear. It helps others to find us, and we read every comment you post. I'm so pleased to be speaking with one of Happiful's favourite people today, writer, podcaster, and founder of Mental Health Mates, Bryony Gordon. Welcome, Bryony. Thank you, Happyful, for having me. It's lovely to have you, and it's lovely to chat to you. And we just agreed to start recording because we were having a natter. We were going to do the entire podcast. This is what I find when I'm doing my podcast, is that the guest will be there, and I and you, you want to be like, hi, how are you? And then you want to be like, save it for the podcast. <laughs> I think that's the great thing about podcasts is that they can f- they feel so informal and they feel you know it's like you're listening in on someone's conversation and that's why I love the format so much mm. especially when you're talking about mental health but the thing is yeah you have to sort of just immediately start recording it the moment that you come into contact with your guest <laughs> otherwise that's it yeah you're spent by the time you hit yeah and then it feels like I did a podcast a series of mad world that we kind of put together very quickly when lockdown was announced because we felt that what was needed was a kind of you know people needed things to listen to that helped them and we had nurses who had worked in um in West Africa during the Ebola epidemic and who had experienced the kind of trauma of that and but then we we also had I got Daisy May Cooper on and who I love because I wanted to uplift people you know and anyway it was so funny because she is so funny and her Instagram is like one of the things that has got me through this year as well as this country but the tech kept on failing so we had this like we started chatting and I was like oh my head I was like this is a brilliant intro like she's so great she's like being really funny and it was about how she shared her name with a porn star and a lived MMP and we had to redo it like 17 times because the tech kept failing and she was she was so professional but I was like Daisy, tell her. <laughs> it was like, uh... but isn't that the thing? You know, everything that we knew last year about how we would work and how we'd record things—it's all changed. And actually, I quite like it like this. I mean, I'm sat in my bedroom on the floor, surrounded by pillows, to try and make it not as echoey. And I've told my husband to keep the dog quiet downstairs. You're in your room, you know, bedroom. Yeah, bedroom. There's this. 
there's a certain element of reality. I definitely agree with you. There are bits of me that really like lockdown, to put it bluntly. I've realised that the bits of me that really like lockdown are my mental illness. <laughs> and so I have to be really careful. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, because... I've always said that all mental health issues, what they all have in common from anxiety through to psychosis and beyond, is that they lie to you mm. and they tell you you're a freak and they tell you that no one understands what you're going through. When that's just not true, you know, not only does someone understand what you're going through, but someone is going through what you're going through right now. Yeah. But they, they thrive in a culture of isolation. And so, you know, when you get into this situation where you suddenly are being told that, you know, state sanctioned, you don't have to see anyone. You know, initially my reaction to that is, phew, I don't have to trek into town. I don't have to have uncomfortable social interactions with people because fundamentally I'm socially inept, do you know what I mean? Because of my anxiety, all of those things. And I go, phew, but what I've realized as this period has gone on and is that it's actually not that good for me. And, and so while there are bits that I do like, and I, you know, I like being able to be in my bedroom, but it isn't actually that good for me to be in my bedroom basically 23 hours of the day, which yeah. is what I am because I work in my bedroom, you know, I mean, I work in my bedroom, I sleep here and, you know, all of those kind of boundaries that we had for life. And I, what I realized quite quickly was all of the things that I thought drove me insane about life. So that having to commute, having to talk inanely at the school gate with other people, having to queue for things and shops and all, going to meetings, all of those really tedious things that I thought drove me insane actually kept me sane. They kept me grounded in some form of reality, all those little bits of connection, if that makes sense. It makes absolute um, sense. And, and when you lose those bits of connection, it can be quite dangerous. Like I do feel a little bit at the moment, like I am slightly in a manageable way. Thankfully, I've got enough tools to keep me going I feel like I had quite a big reserve quite a big bank of wellness to call mm -hmm. upon on March the 23rd when lockdown the first lockdown was announced yeah because I do you know at recovery I have a therapist I'm lucky I'm really really very fortunate you know so I had a very large bank on March the 23rd a balance in my bank but it has it's definitely there's nothing in the bank anymore and I'm in debt. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the way I feel. But I also feel that that's a lot of people. I'm sure that that's the same for a lot of people. Like, I think we're all a bit ready to hit, like, game over on this year. Do you know what I mean? Why do I think that, that like, it turning midnight on December the 31st, 2020, suddenly it's like the, what, the universe is going to go, oh, look, that certificate of bad luck has expired now. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, now, now it's one minute past midnight, January the 1st, 2021. Everything's going to be great again. And I'm like, that's not how life works. I agree. And that's really interesting what you said, because as you were saying it, I was really thinking about the fact that I do feel that I've been able to continue to function in a professional way. I've been able to do my work and I've been able to write and I haven't had to go into the office. But actually, there is a certain amount of that that is keeping up a facade. All of the things are still going on. It's all happening. I'm just able to stay in my nest. And mm. listening to you say that is, is really making me consider that for myself and for a lot of people, I can imagine, is, is that kind of you're functioning but actually you're not getting that connection that you, you might be and needing. I, yes, I think we really do need it. And I, and I think, you know, you see that because people are, you know, people need other people. And But I've had to be, I have to be really careful because I, I say this in this, this book that I've... <laughs> I'm supposed to be promoting now. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I've just wished on. 
So, Lucy, I've written this book called No Such Thing as Normal, which is basically all the things I've learned about being well from being mentally unwell. And um, I say this in there that it's like the voice, my OCD and my alcoholism and all of those things, is sort of, if I imagine it as a figure that's kind of invaded my brain, and it has this voice that is completely indistinguishable from my own. So sometimes, and I think it's me, I think it's me that wants those things. And I have to remind myself that it's not. So sometimes if I want to do something, I shouldn't do it. If I don't want to do something, I should do it. You know, like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go for a run. I don't, I don't want to do a Zoom call, do a a work, you know, and all of that stuff. And then I'm like, no, just do it. And every time I have to, I really have to recognize my brain doesn't always want the best for me, basically. So I have to sort of short circuit it from time to time. And that's a exhausting thing to do as well. You know, for a lot of people that kind of struggle between almost the infiltrator voice and the adult voice saying, Mm. come on, (laughs) let's, let's get out of bed. It is exhausting. It isn't as exhausting as the alternative, do you know what I mean? Which is to be sucked down into the hole. I have to remind myself that it's, you know, it's all those little things that you do or that you don't do, you know, or you refuse to do, you refuse to give into. The longer you do it for, the more it becomes like a second, it becomes second nature. I mean, it's a bit like when I first got sober three and a bit years ago, the cravings for alcohol were there every night for the first you know I don't know months and and I was exhausted I I was physically exhausted you know from fighting this kind of craving and thinking what the wouldn't it be easier to give into it but now it's not I don't alcohol I mean of course it crosses my mind occasionally but I just go oh look that's interesting I'm my brain is telling me that I should have a drink better short circuit that and then I move on to the next thing you know the more we learn to do it the easier it gets and you've learned a lot and you continue to put all of this into practice obviously I'm going to ask you about always <laughs> I'm very good at talking it and basically why I'm talking about it is to remind myself to do it right that's the perfect thing to do and I want before we start talking about your I am's for you to tell us about your new book because actually you put a lot of that personal experience in the book but also I'm interested if that book was a kind of reaffirmation of everything that you've learned in the in the last few years It was interesting. This book came about because of the pandemic. And I I found it really interesting that at the beginning, because I've had obsessive compulsive disorder since I was a really little girl. And my first, the first manifestation I had of it was I had this absolutely overwhelming fear of germs and I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't leave my bedroom when I was very little. And um, so obviously I I remember people saying to me, oh, are you okay about this? And it just didn't, (laughs) didn't faze me in the slightest. And I thought, well, that's interesting because you would logically think well that's you know the government is saying wash your hands cover your you know don't come near to anyone but that would trigger something in you but it didn't and I realized that actually the whole situation with lockdown I I was obviously one is not you know joyous about it but mm. I didn't find it I wasn't terrified of it I didn't you know I was like okay because well, I knew that whatever nothing I could do was going to change the situation it was and I felt quite relaxed really I was like this this situation where we're all locking down together for the greater good is is a piece as a walk in the park compared to the times I've had to lock down in my own head alone do you know what I mean and I Mm. I think that might resonate with a lot of people listening who have experienced mental illness and I realized quite quickly that the people I knew who had experienced a kind of mental health crisis similarly were taking it in their stride the people that had never or not 
never kind of admitted to to it, were really panicking, <laughs> you know, and they were looking to people like me and other people I know who'd experienced mental health crisis for advice. Like, oh, what should you know? What do you think we should do? Do you think we should, you know, how should I be coping with this? What what are the tools? And I was like, hang on a second. I suddenly realized that all of the things that I had considered to be flaws and failures in my brain were actually more like superpowers suddenly. And that kind of gave me the, the idea for this book because I realized that through being very unwell, I had learned a huge amount about how to be well, you know, and, and, it, and I'm not saying that mental illness is a gift because clearly it isn't. And if you're sitting here listening right now, you know, as I, I say in the book, that there were, there were many times when well-meaning people would say, oh, I'm so inspired by, your, by how you, you know, you're struggling against this. And I would have swapped the fucking inspired, you know, being inspired <laughs> for a normal life where yeah. I wasn't looking out the window expecting the police to come and get me because I was, my brain was convincing me I'd done things that I hadn't, you know. Yeah. I get that. But what I do also, I can't, I can't, change what is and the fact is is that I am a human being who for whatever reason my brain has chosen some to create some coping mechanisms that don't actually work that well my brain has misfired right mm -hmm. so I have these things or I have to work with what I have and and the situation I have and and, and then and in that I've realized I am a very resilient person I am quite strong I say that some of the best things in my life have come from some of the worst things you know and you know the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you now I wouldn't be if I if I hadn't gone through all of that and then chosen to write about it. And I suppose I wanted to kind of distill into book form. And it's not a big book. It's quite a, you know, because I know how difficult it can be to read and concentrate when you're unwell. But I wanted to distill into, you know, book form, because that's what I do. I'm a writer. All the things I'd learned about being, oh, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I've learned about being well from uh, being unwell, including how important it is to regulate your breathing. <laughs> um, but um, I've met, I've been really privileged through doing this mental health campaigning, accidental mental health campaigning, to meet some amazing people who I've learned so much from. Like, you know, just on the breath thing, I was thinking about Rangan Chatterjee. You know, he, from him, I learned this uh, three, four, five breathing technique. So I've written about it, you know, and it's, so it's a lot of it is me, not a lot of it, but some of it is me referring people on to these amazing people that have helped me. But it, it's all sorts of things about, you know, but also about how I get a lot of people come to me and go, should you do, you know, I should be doing mindfulness and meditation. And I'm like, stop. When you're in mental health crisis, asking someone to do med meditation is like asking someone in a lead suit to go for a swim. You know, it's really difficult. <laughs> so let's go right back to the basics, you know? So there's a lot of practical advice in there. And I suppose most of my other books, uh, well, almost all of, I, I, I wrote one book for teenage girls called You Got This, which was all about, you know, all the things I wish I could tell teenage me. But this one is similarly very practical. So it has, you know, all of the basics. It's basically all the things I wish I could have told, you know, I need to tell myself if I ever am in crisis. And, and then also at the centre of it is, I spent a lot of time interviewing people working in the NHS in mental health about all of the things that they would like people to know how to get the best out of the system because we hear so much about how bad mental health provision is and it is you know like it isn't great and we need to carry on bagging that drum until the government listens however when you were in mental health crisis that isn't in itself very helpful in fact it's quite unhelpful because 
I'm feeling like a piece of shit. The world revolves around, which is what my mental health takes me. I'm feeling terrible. Like I want help. I'm yeah. in desperation. I want help. And if I'm told, well, there isn't any, that's, that's really not, that's going to feed straight into my inner gremlin. And so I wanted to kind of break down in quite a simple way what's available what you should be expecting in time in terms of waiting times because i think that it's kind of stitched into our dna what to do if we have problems with our physical health you know like if i if my daughter has a fever for three days in a row i will take her to a and e you know if i we just know we just instinctively know what to do right if i break my arm yada 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 but we don't really know what to do if we find ourselves or find someone we love in mental health crisis, it isn't very clear cut. So I feel that by making that clear, it's much easier to hold the system accountable and hold people in positions of power accountable. Because if more people know that the waiting time for IAPT therapy or whatever is, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but you know, if more people know that they can self-refer for talking therapies online, do you know what I mean? The more that we know that these things are available, the more people try and use them, the more the government knows they have to give more money, Yeah, <laughs> basically. So I wanted to kind of make it quite practical like that, but also stuff about what to do if you're in, you know, extreme crisis, like you feel in danger of taking your life. You know, what do you do? So I spoke to the Samaritans, for example, about what to expect when you call the Samaritans, because I see that number everywhere, you know, like, what was it? 116, you know, I don't know particularly what's going to happen when I call them. Are they going to then call the police? Are they going to, you know, so yeah. it, it was all, no, they're not, is the short answer, you know, yeah. like really interesting things. That I didn't know that like, they have no idea where you are. You're completely anonymous. You know, you don't have to be in extreme crisis to call them, but there's also organizations like the May tree, which will provide a bed for you in a, you know, a comforting place for four nights. If you're in suicidal, you know, so there's just all these amazing things out there. And I just wanted to like, things that I'd encountered that I wanted to put in book form because I get asked these questions so much. Like, what do I do? My child is unwell. What do I do? I'm unwell. You know, how do I, how do I communicate this to work? It's a real minefield, isn't it? So anyway, so that's what this book is basically. <laughs> and it's called No Such Thing as Normal. And I yeah. think it's going to be such a welcome addition to households for people to have this and to be able to refer to it. But there's, there's also the side where you talk about your experiences. So it's very relatable. And one of the things that you said was, I just want help. And I know from going through my own mental health crises, that is quite often the feeling, I just need someone to help me. Mm. And having somewhere that you can start when your head is so foggy is a great thing. So I think you've done a brilliant job and I look forward to the world having it. Well, I, I <laughs> thank you for saying that. You're the first person I've spoken to other than my editor who's read oh. it. And I'm in that foggy state at the moment where, uh, yes, where I feel like that all of them, you know, as I said, I feel like that my reserves in the bank have, have slightly run out. But I wanted it, you know, when I pitched it, I pitched it like, for example, in my kitchen, right? I have on a stand Nigella's How to Eat, right? And I use it, I go to it, I'm like, oh, because I loved reading, like, I'm not a massive cook, but I just loved reading it oh, me as too. a tome because it's it's so, you know, she's just so full of little bits of wisdom. And I wanted it to be, I mean, I'm like, I can't compare myself to Nigella in any way, shape or form, but I wanted it to be a little bit like that, like a book that people just have yep. there in their shelf, not necessarily their kitchen, obviously, because let me just tell you now, you will not find any reference 
recipes and no such thing as normal. But like, I, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about, actually that said, like I've done a lot of stuff about, you know, how we can use food uh, in the same way that we do drugs and alcohol yeah, and how to get help with eating disorders and all of that. And in fact, you know, the fascinating thing about this book <laughs> is that in writing it and interviewing all these specialists, I found myself on the phone to this woman who works for Beat which is the Eating Disorders Association one day. And I said, you know, I don't really know anything about eating disorders. And I thought, that's, that's just a lie, Bridie. You, you were bulimic for 10 years of your life. <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't know about eating disorders? And also what I'd realised was happening during lockdown for me was that I was using food as a real comfort in the same way that lots of people have used alcohol. That's obviously not an option open to me. So it was like, well, I'm not purging the food. I'm only binging, so it's fine. And I realized, no, it's not, I'm suffering. I was really, well, I've been brought quite low by binge eating disorder. Do you know what I mean? So like just writing the book, I've come to my own realizations. And that isn't to say, oh God, what now, Briny? Well, another thing to <laughs> tick off the list. But like, you know, like life is a process and a journey. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm trying to say that all of these things, they may not feel normal. Do you know what I mean? But there is no such thing as normal. But yeah. our brains will misfire in the same way that all our other organs are. And so you might find, you know, life isn't a clear path. is isn't like, well, I've done this work on my OCD. I'm cured. And life is going to be happy forever after. I'm like, no, no, no sweetheart that life doesn't work like that so you know I've done the work on the OCD I've done the work on my, on my alcoholism and I'm like now I'm gonna have to do a little bit of work on binge eating disorder but I've got a lot of my in the back you know and I understand the more I understand and the more my life is improved by that it is kind of evolving isn't it it is That's know, life. morphing it morphs you know you're the way you feel in, de in different times will change. There's never any destination with your mental health. No, and also I say that in the book, I'm like, please do not, if I've got the passage here, I'm like, please do not take this as some sort of like, like feel free to discard everything I've said <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm just someone who's had some experience of it and I'm only writing what I know. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure, Lucy, that in 10 years time, I will read this book and go, that's astonishing that I thought I had any right <laughs> to write a book about, do you know what I mean? Like, God, at that point, I was seriously unwell with a binge eating disorder. Who did I think I was? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think it's the brilliant book for right now. And just to, just to kind of tell you about Happiful, we've seen a lot of people coming to Happiful looking for help that have categorically said that they've not, they feel that they've not had experienced mental health challenges or mental illness before um what you were saying at the very beginning about people who were coming to you and asking you a huge increase in anxiety an absolutely huge increase in anxiety and relationships general awareness of of mortality things like that so i think as a nation we we're on a we're on another bump in the roller coaster in terms of mental health and mental health provision I do think, you know, I, I think it's really important to say that in a rush to normalise life again and get back to whatever normal constitutes, we can forget that actually this year, we all went, like, I, I hesitate to use words like traumatic because it does sound so, you know, <laughs> traumatic. But I, if you look back to February, beginning of March, you know, there was really a sense of 
am I going to run out? Are we going to run out of food? Do you know what I mean? Like, are we going to be, what's going to happen here? You know, I remember hearing the prime minister say, we will all lose someone we love, you know? And so there was that, and I know a lot of people have died, so I'm not, I'm not undermining, but I, I think, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that it was frightening. It was like, we, we were all assuming that, that what was going to unfold would be like something as a, as we've seen a pandemic at a movie. And actually, that that's why coronavirus has been so stealthy and evolved because it isn't like what it looks like in a movie it's through that that it's spread so far and wide and it you know it looks very different to what i think we we're especially but that doesn't take away from the fact that there has been a lot of collective trauma i think and you you look back i remember going to sainsbury's like a couple of weeks before lockdown was announced and with my husband and we'd like gone in there to try and get stuff in case and it was re- I was like, we have to leave, Harry. This is like, it felt like, it felt like fights were going to break out, you know? And I, now, of course, we know, you know the supermarkets have held up. We haven't run out of food. Do you know what I mean? The, that doesn't take away from the fact that there was a very, there was a quite a long period of time where we all thought that was going to happen. Yeah. And that's quite frightening, you know? It is, it is quite frightening. And also our kind of nervous systems have been really, really under, uh, under attack this year. And your first I am is I am overwhelmed. Tell me about being overwhelmed and, and how that feels for you right now. Being overwhelmed is something I feel quite a lot, a lot of the time because I just take on too much stuff and I say yes to everything because, because I essentially I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm going to lose everything I have. I'm scared I'm not going to, you know, I'm fearful that what I, the career I've built up might go or, and I think that that's, that's kind of normal, like that's a kind of bit of imposter syndrome that I think we all have. But I feel like it's kind of writ large this year because there is so much uncertainty out there and a lot of work has gone, you know, a lot of people have lost jobs. Yeah. And I, I think uncertainty is you know, I think it's quite hard to to live with for a prolonged period of time. And of course, everything's uncertain all the time. But, you know, this kind of level of I don't know what I'm going to be doing. We don't know what next year is going to look like. And so, yeah, I can feel very overwhelmed by things. And I can, I don't know about you, but I can get very, I can like allow it all to kind of just, you know, c- come over me and just like sit on me. And so I'm like, Ugh. and I think that that isn't helped by the fact that we are all alone you know we are all isolated because I'm not getting the perspective do you know what I mean that I usually would by just going out and chatting to people and going and and knowing that everyone is overwhelmed yeah you know everyone is but overwhelm is when I was asked to come up with these I was I was I was literally I was sitting where I'm sitting now in my bedroom and I had like I have I have like these lists next to my like that's one such list do you know what I mean I'm showing you on the zoom screen and um I don't know about you but I have a thing where I I take on too much because I need to prove to myself that I am enough and I'm scared that if I don't if I don't say yes to everything and that if I don't do everything that I will I don't know disappear like I, I I'll I'll lose everything you know I'm very bad at putting boundaries in and then of course what happens is I can't quite do everything <laughs> because yep. nobody can <laughs> yep and I end up being like do you mind if we push the deadline back but and letting people down put it put it mildly I mean I'm not like you know and then I and then I beat myself up I'm a terrible person because I didn't you know and then and it spirals and then I have to take myself away and go sort it out Bryony you are not a piece of shit the world revolves around everyone's got that own shit going on like you're just a slightly overwhelmed mum <laughs> who's living through a global uh, uh, through a pandemic 
who's trying to do too much and can't say no yeah like hello like everyone do you know what I mean like like everyone Bryony like you are not special or different (laughs) do you know what I think a lot of people will really they will absolutely understand that and some people are able to say no I I know people who are able to say no and I'm in awe of people who are able to say no but I think there is there is still a cultural kind of way of being where it is that constant you know you have to keep on going I have to sit and ask myself what is it I get from being overwhelmed I think that if I'm overwhelmed with the work and I think this is probably where, where, where I go and if I feel busy the whole time then a I'm able to ignore whatever else is going on in my head but b you know I feel like my worth is defined by the fact that people want me to work you know want me to do work for them but my worth is not defined by that. <laughs> I have to sit back and go, okay, and ask some hard questions to myself. Like, you know, like we're all repeating patterns we've been shown, right? Ooh. So like, and of course, when we were all growing up, you know, that thing of busy is best, you know, better to be busy than bored. And I'm like, but is it? Like, actually, we say we'd love to crawl into our beds for the rest of the year in a onesie, but I think that within about a day, we would be like, like no let me back out there let me be really busy you know like I think it's not necessarily better to be busy than bored I need to just and I think I can only speak for myself but that's okay it's okay to say no it's okay not to be like like running around like a blue arsed whatever the phrase is I can't blue arsed fly yeah blue arsed fly I just ask you though when you when you do everything that you have on your list Mm -hmm. and you and you're you're doing stuff Mm -hmm. do you ever get to the point where you feel like you've achieved and you can sit back and say I did that yeah no I do and today for example I've got but I can I'm like this like I procrastinate and there's all sorts of things going on there as well, where I'm like, I can't do this. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to like, I'm going to do everything but the thing I need to do right now. Yeah. Um, and because I, I think there's a bit of me that's like self-sabotage. There's a bit of me that genuinely thinks, I can't do that. I can't do what they're asking me to do. I'm, I'm, they're going to find me out. I'm useless. I'm crap. I'm not, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not up to this. But then there's also a bit that's like, I'm like, why? Why don't you just sit and get it out of the way? But then, because the thing is, once I get out of the way, I'll just fill it with something else. But I will have a brief moment where I'm like, yay! And actually, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking like I'm the most chaotic person, you know, not the most, obviously. There's, but actually, I have got much better as I've got older about putting down boundaries. And also, like, doing things like, I have to have, <laughs> this is like, you're like, everyone's listening, going, listen <laughs> to this middle-class privileged prick. But like... I have got much better at like I I go I'm like I'm going away now for two weeks and I don't want to hear from anyone and then like and then what I'll do is I'll go away on this nice holiday that I've saved you know we've saved up for and we've like and then I'll be on the phone on the beach I mean obviously I won't be because I'm not no one's going on holiday but and I'll be like oh, looking at my emails and I'll go. Oh, they know I'm on holiday. Why are they emailing me? And then my sponsor in AA, because I do AA, I mean a 12-step program, I'm not supposed to say, she'll be like, 
why are you checking your email? Oh. You know, so I have to, so I'll call, I'm just, I'm just so annoyed. I'm so annoyed. I said to them, I didn't want anyone to contact me for the week I was away. And then she's like, well, they just don't check your email, Bridie. Like, <laughs> the reason I asked you is because one of the things I find is that perpetual busyness. I never get to the point where I go, okay, I've done a good enough job. It's never good enough. There's always more that I could do better, should do better, or didn't do good enough. And it's, it's just interesting to hear someone else who isn't able to say no. You know, like, that's why I ended up in rehab. I couldn't say no. You know, like, lots of I'm terrible life decisions have happened because I can't say no. So, and my agent, again, I sound like such a wanker, don't I? My <laughs> agent says to me, Riley, no is a complete sentence. And I'm like, shut up, go away. That's not, because I, I, when I do say no, I have to qualify it and be like, no, because I've got this, 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 this. I'm really busy. Everyone, everyone, I, everyone know how busy I am and what a martyr I am to the cause. But I feel much better for getting that off my chest. Perhaps, perhaps your next book should be the, I don't know if there's one already, actually, but The Power of No. I think there's, I think that book's been written like many times. And I, I don't think anyone wants to see me making a dent in the cell phone market. I mean, this is enough. Yeah, I'm not going to like remarket myself as a self-help guru because I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> we're going to move on to your next however i am going to look for a book called the power of now and give it a go there is is it eckhart uh oh that's the power of now isn't it <laughs> your next i am is i am trying my best yeah i mean that's i've put that in there because actually that is what i have to come back to whenever i start beating myself up for being an overwhelmed dick privileged dick as I've just said, can you use any of the, you're like, we've just got talking about beating yourself up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remind myself, I'm just doing my best. I'm not trying to be, you know, like I'm not a bad person. And I genuinely, for a long time, my brain has, has told me I am. I'm a person who has had an illness that sometimes make causes me to make bad decisions, but I'm not a bad person. I'm just trying my best. And we all are really, we all are. And, you know, so I can find myself getting really angry about things like, the government and you know why are they funding mental health and I'm like I don't genuinely think that like Boris and Rishi and anyone else are sitting there thinking we're just going to be really mean and take and through mental health we're not going to give them any money because <laughs> they're not doing that do you know what I mean they are in their own way trying their best what i'm trying to say is when i start to get really cross and resentful about other you know I myself, everyone's just trying their best do you know what i mean and yeah. like go easy on ourselves go easy on others yeah. that was a quick one <laughs> that was a quick one but a, a good one and a true one and i think it's sometimes easy as well when we're in lockdown relying on texts or emails or things like that to sometimes read the worst or think the worst yeah yeah so actually yeah. just go in you know perhaps they meant the best I am also just taking it back and going, I am trying my best. I am trying my best. I am trying my best. Nice. Like it's quite a good reset, I find, yeah. during the day. And your next one is, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, oh, because I am. Like, we're yeah. all going to be okay. Like, life may be messy, disgusting, grotesque, whatever, but we're all going to be okay in the end. Do you know what I mean? And there isn't... I have to remind myself of that. I, I can get myself into such a kind of a tears. Tears. I just sound like my like a grandma or something. Tears. I can work myself into kind of a bit of a state and 
think I'm the worst person in the world or that, do you know what I mean? Or that something I can catastrophize, you know, someone hasn't replied to my text. They hate me. I've done something wrong and I don't know what I've done wrong, but I, of course it must be because I, you know, it can never be just because they're busy or do you know what I mean? You know, I have to sort of breathe and go, it is going to be okay. And everywhere, you know, all around me right now, like I'm looking out of my bedroom window onto my road you know, there's going to be at least 10 people on my road who right now are not having a great time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, and that, that doesn't give me comfort. I'm not like, yay, other people are going through a bad time, but it reminds me that this is human. This is life. You know, it is okay. We will get through it. And I find that thing, which you hear so often, which is it's okay not to be okay. I, I find that, I can find that profoundly annoying, but it is actually to take yourself back to it is a quite an, an it's, it's a sort of simple fact it is okay and I think one of the things that I, ex I try and explore in the book is this idea that you know it's called there's no such thing as normal is that normal is happy and anything else is a failure do you know what I mean so me having OCD me being an alcoholic yada 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 these are ways in which I failed but they're not ways in which I failed they're just ways in which I've been a very normal human being and we don't kind of like reel in shock when other organs misfire. Do you know what I mean? No. When our brains misfire, we, we feel like somehow we as, you know, human beings have failed. And that isn't, do you know what I mean? That, that just isn't the case. Like yeah. I find the comparisons of, you know, how mental health is just like physical health. And people can say things like, oh, it's just a chemical imbalance. I think that's really unhelpful because it's far more complicated than that. But I do think the really helpful kind of mental, physical health thing to do is, is to notice our brains are the most fantastically complex organs, you know, the only organ in the body that can't be transplanted, right? I think someone's going to go, no, Brandy, you can't transplant <laughs> the whatever. Our brains will misfire in the same way that the rest of our bodies do. One of my favourite books about mental health, which I quote in my book, <laughs> it's a book called This Book Will Change Your Mind About Mental Health by Nathan Filer. It's fantastic and it's a set, it's a, he was a mental health nurse and he wrote a book called, the, he wrote a novel called The Shock of the Fool about a schizophrenic boy which won uh, the Costa Award. He wrote last year, it's published this book about, it is ostensibly about psychosis and schizophrenia but it's actually about more, like it's much broader about how mental health, you know, came to be you know the terminology around it mm -hmm. the classifications but also you know there's really interesting things in it about how for example when we think of the most commonly known symptoms so to speak of schizophrenia are paranoid delusions and delusions of grandeur and he points out that there's this theory that goes back to you know primitive primitive early humans when we were out on the african savannas what did we have to do we had to look over our shoulders you know for another tribe or an animal and there's your paranoid delusions, right? And what would we do if we came across the other tribe or the dangerous animal? We'd make ourselves big to try and scare them away. Delusions of grandeur. So when I think of mental health in that way, it's like a very primitive, the brain is trying to protect us in some way. Yeah. It's just slightly got it wrong in a way that is, and so the, you know, the, the key thing for my OCD, uh, came when I, you know, I did loads of CBT and it never seemed to work. The key understanding for me in my in my OCD was when I came to accept that my OCD was a faulty coping mechanism that my brain had employed as a little girl to try and keep me safe, and it hadn't worked. 
And so when that I find the intrusive thoughts coming in, I can remind myself, ah, I'm not feeling safe at the moment. My brain is trying to do a job and it's making it worse. And that for me has been the most liberating take away mental health. Like that little one chapter in, in Nathan Filer's book. Honestly, I love that book. I just think it's, that's a really liberating way to think about it. Through that, I take it all back to, that is how it's okay not to be okay. Because that's, that's our brains, you know, and it's, you know, and I spent, I spent a lot of my time trying not to have OCD and trying not to be a depressive, trying to prove I wasn't an alcoholic, you know? And in the end, the easiest thing for me was to surrender to the fact I was an alcoholic, right? I do have OCD. I am prone to depression. So what am I going to do to try and make those experiences and those things that my faulty coping mechanisms, my brain, for whatever reason has employed, how am I going to try and make my life easier? What little things am I going to put into my life so that they don't harm me and they don't make me feel so awful, you know? And one of those things is to remind myself that I am not, I'm not a freak, you know? I'm quite the opposite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm just a human going through the normal range of, of human emotions and sometimes getting it a bit wrong. And it is going to be okay. It might be hard, but it is going to be okay. And you know what? There'll be people listening to this that are going to take such comfort from that because you know when you're at your lowest it's hard to know you're going to be okay but you will be you will be okay and I can't wait to read that book it sounds fascinating it's great your I have is that you have everything you need right now tell us about having everything you need listen it's a hard thing to say in an age when people have lost jobs and yeah. do you know what I mean but again it's like I guess what I'm trying to say is that I can spend my life thinking about what I need next to do next in my life. Yeah. But also I can think, spend my life thinking about the things I don't want that are in my life, that I'm cross about, that I'm angry about, that I'd rather weren't in my life. And again, I guess it's acceptance again. It's like, okay, but they are. They are in your fucking life. So what? So like, how are we going to work with them? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, so it's, that's a multifaceted one. You know, I suppose being in recovery, being sober, I, you know, I, I work a 12-step program. And, you know, one of the things that they teach you in that is that, you know, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. And, uh, you know, and then at which point people go, oh, she's turned into some religious freak and you know it's not about that it's a more of a spiritual concept of god like the universe in my head god is the universe you know i just have to watch a david attenborough documentary to see the universe is like incredible and there are forces much bigger than myself at play right just the fact of life and science is like whoa it's way more complex than me um so i guess that's what i mean by a bigger a higher power so to speak it isn't yeah. that god isn't a god created all of this it's just that there are you know fantastic physics the law of physics that's a, pa pa a power higher than me do you know what yeah. i mean it is that thing of like you you have to deal with what you are given or what you're not given and then maybe one of the ways of dealing with what you are not given is to campaign to make sure other people can be given it for me, I wasn't given any mental health support as a child. So maybe my way of dealing with that is as an adult to try and bang on and on about it. How do we make the system better and fairer? And how do we, how do we take negatives and turn them into positives? And I think everyone has the, has the capability in numerous small areas to kind of make a difference. And you're doing that with your books. You're doing that with your podcast. You're opening up conversations. 
I think having someone championing other people's lives and experiences because of what happened to them and they didn't get that support is amazing. Well, that's what we could all do. And you don't have to have a platform of millions, do you know what I mean, to be able to, to do it. You can be someone who goes up to another person in a peer support group and says, get help, I promise you it can be better than this, do you yeah. know what I mean? And that, that is a way of taking a negative and turning it into a positive. We yeah. all have the power to make a difference, you know? And this year's shown that as well by people just shopping for neighbours or... Yeah! doing extra things like we can all make a difference before we end i'm going to ask you the question we ask everyone which is if you could meet briny from 10 years in the future she could pop in your bedroom now and have a chat with you what do you hope she'd say to you it's all going to be okay you're doing your best she's consistent (laughs) yeah i'm excited to meet me in 10 years time you know like if i look back to me 10 years ago christ i was so unwell you know and um 10 years is is a long time but it's not but i want like the, the amount of change that has happened like i like who knows like that's that's something to look forward to and i hope that i get to meet me in 10 years time thank you bryony i've loved chatting to you thank you that was really nice just tell everyone before we go where they can find you on social media and again about your new book the best place to find me is on instagram and i think my instagram is at bryony gordon and the book is available now and i don't know what situation we're in now in terms of our ability to get out to bookshops or not because we recorded this a little bit before now uh but it's available from all good bookshops marvelous thank you bryony it's available on Audible. I am narrating it. You can listen to me for hours on end if you haven't had enough. And on ebook as well. All kinds of ways to get no such thing as normal. Thank you, Brian and Gordon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast brought to you by Counseling Directory and Happiful Magazine. As always, please rate, review and share if you like what you hear. And if you'd like to read more about mental health and well-being, visit the App Store and download our Happiful app so you can read our magazine on the go as well as finding out about therapy, well-being and other support in your area. You can find more information about online counselling and therapists at counselling-directory.org.uk. And if you need to speak to someone immediately, the Samaritans are available 24 hours a day on 116123. And you can also email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast has been produced by Happiful. We hope you'll join us again soon.